Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today on the show, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Barbara Harris Whitfield. Barbara is a therapist, workshop presenter, respiratory and massage therapist, and she's had a near-death experience. She was the key subject in Dr. Ken Ring's groundbreaking book on the near-death experience called Heading Toward Omega. Barbara did research at the University of Connecticut Medical School for six years on the after-effects of near-death experiences with psychiatric professor Bruce Grayson. She has told her story on major television shows including Larry King Live, Good Morning America, Oprah, just to name a few. Recently, she returned from Findhorn in Scotland as she was a presenter at the We Do Not Die conference. Barbara is the author of many books, including Spiritual Awakening, Final Passage, and The Natural Soul. And I know there's so much more she's going to tell us. So welcome to We Don't Die Radio, Barbara Harris Whitfield. Thank you, Sandra. I appreciate you asking me to be on, and I'm thrilled for the next hour. Oh, I'm thrilled, too. And, um... I got introduced to Barbara by one of our listeners, so thank you very much. You know who you are. And um, she directed me to, Barbara has a brilliant video on YouTube, uh, and she explains her um, near-death experience and more, which I'll connect you to in this. But let me talk, I've done enough talking. So Barbara, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, where you're living, and maybe just a little bit about your past that brought you up to yeah, yeah. where you are. We are in Atlanta, Georgia, and my husband, who's an MD and best-selling author, he wrote Healing the Child Within. He yeah. and I have a practice together where we do individual group and marriage counseling for adults that were repeatedly traumatized as children. It's a very rewarding field, and anybody who's doing psychotherapy with a trauma base is is getting to the roots of the healing that we need, and I certainly needed that kind of healing. I came from a very dysfunctional childhood, uh, grew up very, very numb, and as an atheist, because I remember back then thinking there can't be a God because God would not let children be tormented the way I was. Mm, makes sense. And lo and behold, at the age of 32, there I was in the arms of God. <laughs> Say more about that, because, um, okay. yeah, yeah. And, and let me just, um, a little bit what? back, let me just acknowledge and commend you on what you and your husband are doing, because I've, I know just from my own person, I mean, things that happen when we're young impact the rest of our lives, so if you can get they to the root of that, you can set people free to be who they're meant to be, so thank mm-hmm. you for that. Yeah, and, um, you know, it was a very quick awakening. At the age of 32, I didn't believe in anything anymore, and mm-hmm. yet I had five and a half hours of back surgery. Ouch. And, yeah, and woke up in a, a striker frame circle bed, which looks like a Ferris wheel for one person. It's two big chrome hoops, and there's a stretcher in the middle, and I was suspended in that bed for over a month, and then seven months in a full body cast. So um, wow. I'm waking up, and that is, is a very awesome way to wake up in a bed like that. And it, it stops you from moving. It moves you. Three times a day, they would come in and rotate me up and over onto my face to air out my lungs and my back. But anyway, about two days after surgery, I started to die. My, my blood volume dropped really low, and my body swelled up. And I remember them um, coming in and trying to do all this hanging bottles and tubes. This was before I became a respiratory therapist, so I really didn't understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. But they were doing life-saving procedures on me, and I just remember screaming, leave me alone, let me die, because I really didn't want to go on living. I had been um, in, in pain for two years. I had been on a lot of Valium and a lot of Percocet, and that was all they were doing for me for two years. I mean, this was in the mid-70s. Uh, just writing more and more prescriptions, and just I, I became so numb that I wasn't a wife anymore. I had three young kids. I couldn't be a mother. I was just kind of a vegetable on these drugs. So if if I was going to die, I re- really wanted to. I really would. I remember the mindset was, "Get away, leave me alone, let me die." Right. And and the next thing I knew, I was out in the corridor. And I was up near the ceiling, and I didn't know I was up near the ceiling until I looked into the PA speaker that I knew was mounted at the ceiling, and then I knew something really strange was going on. 
And I moved back into the room, and I looked down into the circle bed and saw my body. Wow. Now, I had no problem with that at all. I was totally peaceful. I was probably more peaceful than I had ever been in my life. And I just looked at her, and I remember feeling myself chuckle because she looked funny with tape wrapped around her nose. Hmm. I was holding a tube down my throat. And as I thought that, the next thing I knew, I was in total blackness. And as I was moving through the blackness, I suddenly felt this lush warmth pull me in. And it was my grandmother. Now, my grandmother had been dead for 14 years, and I had never once thought of her existing beyond her death. But she was holding me, and together we re-experienced all 19 years we were on the planet together. But I didn't just experience it from my viewpoint. I experienced what she was seeing, feeling, sensing, too. And it was incredible. I mean, we had this very warm, loving relationship. I know that my grandmother's love is what kept me going because I wasn't getting any at home. Mm. And the next thing I knew, I was moving away from her, and she was letting me know, not in words, but heart to heart, that she would always be there waiting for me, but I needed to go back. Now, I did go back, and it happened again a week later, but I have to tell you that when the nurses came in after that experience, I told them, not what I just told you, but um, I told them I had left the bed, and they told me I was hallucinating. And the more I objected, now this was back in the 70s, they sedated me. And mm. the other thing, the, the other thing that happened, and it's still like this to this day, is that my eyes became really, really sensitive to light, and I made them keep the drapes closed in my room, and I kept asking them to close the door because my hearing became heightened, and I I couldn't handle the sound of the page. Anyway, it happened again a week later. I had been rotated forward onto my face. Now, I wasn't on the critical list anymore. Mm-hmm. What happened was my day nurse forgot about me. The door was closed. The button to call for her had fallen away from the sheet, so I was trapped face down, which was very uncomfortable. Sure. I weighed 85 pounds at the time. Oh, I mean, my gosh. I, yeah, I normally weigh around 112, so I was very, very skinny. And I started calling, then I started screaming, then I became hysterical, and I separated from my body again, only this time I watched it happen. And I just have to tell the listeners that we now know this is called the trauma transcendence interface, that when something really horrible is going on, sometimes there's that moment where we transcend the horror of it, and we go through a spiritual experience. Mm. I hear this often from from people who have been raped and other kinds of really shocking to the system kind of experiences. People separate, and it's called the trauma transcendence interface. Okay. Okay, so I'm separated from my body again. I'm looking down on it. She's crying hysterically. I look down into the darkness, and I saw myself at about a year old, face down in my crib, crying just as hard. And I looked back and forth about three times and then had this feeling that I just wanted to let go of this lifetime, which a lot of people that are having NDEs are talking about that moment of letting go. And as I let go, it's as though that baby in that bubble was in a cloud that contained thousands of bubbles. And I re-experienced all 32 years of my life bobbing through the bubbles, and at the same time, there was a linear sequence. And at the same time, there was this energy that wrapped itself around me and moved into me and became me that I now the only word I can use is God. For a long time, I could not say that word because I had been an atheist. Sure. But this incredible, an incredible energy moved into me. And just like with my grandmother, I could see not only through my eyes, but through God's eyes. And I could feel not only from my heart, but from God's heart. And I kept hearing myself say, no wonder, no wonder. And I take that no wonder to mean, no wonder you are the way you are now. Look what was done to you as a child. Wow. You know, I, it was a very hard childhood. But at the same time, my mother, who really was my tormentor, had a worse childhood. I was also feeling what she was feeling, and she had had a worse time than I had. So there was a lot of understanding, a lot of understanding that I don't think 
in in this reality we can get the way we can get when we're looking at it through God's eyes. And as I was finishing up those 32 years, what I was, the horror that I was seeing was that if I continued on the path I was on, I was going to be treating my own children like my mother was treating me. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, what a way to come back. And I remember as I came back thinking, I want there to be a planet for my children to have children on. And that was the message I came back with was, you know, I need to heal myself and I need to help heal the planet. Wow. Then what? Where do we go? I'm I'm left speechless. <laughs> I am. Sorry. I, I, I leave everybody speechless. Yeah, but um, it's a it's a good speechless because I can't help but yeah. look under my into yeah. my eyes. Well, and... you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know. But I didn't come back into my body. I came back behind the nurses' station, and I heard them talking about my case. So I had information that I should not have known. What did you but, hear them uh, say? I heard them say that my doctor had insisted that everybody lie to me and tell me I was going to be in the body cast for six weeks, when in fact I was going to be in the body cast for six months or longer. Wow. That was one thing. And the other thing was that when my day nurse found me, she became so upset that they had to send her home early. Hmm. And then I was back in my body. And this nurse came in and I said, I left the, the bed again. And she said, no, 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 honey, you've hallucinated. Um, and I said to her, please call my day nurse and tell her I'm okay and I'm not angry with her, and you shouldn't lie to me and tell me I'm going to be in the body cast for six weeks when you know I'm going to be in the body cast for six months. And I got sedated again, so I learned very quickly not to talk about it. Yeah, of course. And yeah. let, let me just ask a quick question. Sure. I'm sure you were under a lot of pain medication, sedation, um, and experiencing pain lying mm-hmm. there, was the experience of the NDE clear, crisp, like, real? You know, you know what I'm asking? Yeah, yeah I know. Um, the first experience, yes, I was on morphine. The second experience, I wasn't on anything, and they were both just as crystal clear. See, when, you're, when we're out of our bodies, anything that's going on in our body, like drugs, doesn't affect us because we're now pure soul. Right. There's no mind or brain to get in the way. Hmm. Yep. Brilliant. Um, and I've also heard, if you can, this might not be the case for you, but people that I've talked to that have had NDs say that it's a memory that even though it could have happened years ago, it's like it mm-hmm. just happened yesterday. It's still exactly. so... And that was part of my research at the university with Bruce Grayson. Okay. Uh, we, we questioned people as soon as they would, you know, tell us about it, which was usually within a couple of years. Then um, I went back at 10 years and questioned them again, and everything was identical. And then Dr. Grayson went back 20 years later and got the exact same answers. Maybe a little bit more... Um, it's um, described because we we keep learning how to find more words to describe something that's not, you can't describe it. Sure. You know, I mean, I remember saying to people, they'd say to me, well, there are no words. And I'd say, okay, I understand there are no words, but could you just try to explain it to me? So I've got them explaining something that's unexplainable. But at 20 years, it's just, it's not that it's embellished, it's just a little bit clearer. And what you just heard my account was from 40 years ago. And it, when I'm telling it, it is just as clear as like it happened yesterday. And I'm feeling it, I'm tasting it, I can see it. It's, it's, we're stepping out of this reality into eternity. Mm. And eternity is always there, and eternity is always the same. That's, that's just mind-blowing. Because I know just even from my own memory how hard it is to remember what happened yesterday as opposed mm-hmm. to a conversation that happened 10 years ago. And yeah. to be able to question people and have it be the same. Yeah, you know, um, I'm 72, and I definitely sometimes have some short memory loss. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I can't remember why I walked into a room, and I, I just have to that. laugh because <laughs> I know it's normal for my age. Mm-hmm. But this is as crystal clear it's more crystal clear than anything I've ever experienced in my life. Wow. Well, what happened after? So I'm guessing uh, eventually you got, got after, out of the, the hospital. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize at the time that this was the beginning of, well, um, Joseph Campbell calls it the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. I, I 
thought of it as I knew I had a mission, but I didn't know what it was. Um, so I started this, this journey through my life now that I can look back and see how defined the path was. Um, the first thing I did after I got out of the body cast was go through physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And once I got my strength back, I volunteered at the hospital where I had been, and I was in the emergency room. And I loved it. It was like the only place where I felt people were being real. See, my life before was, um, well, how do I explain it? We had the perfect home, three wonderful kids, a swimming pool, mm-hmm. an airplane, fabulous vacations. I mean, materially, we were it. Right. You know, we had achieved. Um, but that all kind of felt phony to me, except for my relationship with my kids, and as, as far as my husband at the time went, um, he wouldn't believe any of this. So what happened in the emergency room, I, I would wind up holding hands of people that were dying, just sitting with them. Wow. Being at a deathbed scene was not frightening anymore. It was someplace I wanted to be because it was real. And from there I realized, first I was volunteering one day a week and then two days a week, and sometimes they'd call me in a third day when they were shorthanded. So I realized I had to go back to school, and I did, and I became a respiratory therapist. While I was still a student, I got published on my, I used to call my um, subject, the emotional needs of critical care patients. Oh, shock. You know, like, of course, wouldn't I be writing about what had happened to me? But I never talked about near-death experiences because I hadn't heard of them yet. So it was the emotional needs of critical care patients. And I was not only getting published, I was getting invited to speak at nursing and respiratory conferences. And sooner or later, I bumped into Ken Ring, who um, was, I think, the first really big professor from a university who was writing besides Raymond Moody. Right. Raymond was writing um, stories he had heard. Ken was doing actual research, scientific research. So I told him, I didn't tell him at first that I had had one because I knew you had to be quiet about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I told him my patients were having it and they were telling me about it, which they were. And it's interesting that people that are near death know who they can tell and know who they they shouldn't tell. So they were telling me. So I started telling him and wound up um, being a prime subject in his book, Heading Toward Omega. And when he handed me the galleys of that book, For the first time, I had structure to what had happened to me and how I was now changing. I mean, I had the burning hand syndrome, you know, where we, when somebody's around us that's sick, we've got to get our hands on them to give them energy. That was really bizarre for somebody like me to have those feelings, but I went with them. I would put my hands on my dying patients as long as no no other colleagues were around watching. Um... And it just, the whole book gave me structure for the way I had changed because I had gone from this meek little uh, atheist Mm -hmm. to somebody who was out there wanting to help. Anyway, shortly after that book came out, my first husband and I divorced. It just, it was too much for him. He not only didn't want to hear about what was going on for me when I was helping people die, he didn't want to hear about my writing or anything else. And it it was my fault, he said, that I had changed. And at this conference, I was just at at Fintorn. It was interesting because Tim Van Lomel was there. He has a wonderful book out. He's a cardiologist um, called Something About Continuation of Consciousness After Death. And his stats show that 70% of the people who have these experiences wind up getting divorced. And I was certainly one of them. Wow. What was his name again? I haven't heard his Tim, name. Tim, T-I-M. Yep. Van, V-A-N, Lomo, L-O-M-M-E-L. Okay. Back to your story. 70% people have yeah. near-death experience yeah. get divorced. So wow. at that point, I was um, the treasurer of IANS. You know what IANS is? You can explain it. I do, but okay. some listeners it's may not. It's the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And when, when Raymond Moody's book first came out in 1975, um, it was the first time we had the term near-death experience, right. and he was um, in, and he was a resident at University of Virginia, and Bruce Grayson was his professor, and Bruce and he and a few other physicians joined together to form the International Association for Near-Death Studies, 
Well, when Ken's book, Heading Toward Omega, came out, Ken invited me to start coming to the board meetings. So I would go to the board meetings, and I was the first woman on IANS to be on the board. Oh, first congratulations. Woman. Thank That's you. Awesome. I I crashed the good old boy network. Absolutely. And I was yeah. I was the second end of year, and at that point, um, after being on the board for about a year, and then I'm getting a divorce. I'm treasurer of the board, and we really needed money desperately because we had two full time people answering mail. We had no idea there were that many people out there that had had near-death experiences that were looking for answers. But a Gallup poll around that time, and I'm talking about the mid to late 80s, came out with 11 million people in this country alone. And that was before we were counting kids. So anyway, I was going to move up to Connecticut and be a respiratory therapist and try to you know, raise money sure. to keep our uh, employees going. And coincidentally, and my whole story is full of coincidences, coincidentally, Bruce Grayson, who was at the University of Michigan, was offered a job at the University of Connecticut, Mm -hmm. which included a research assistant. So I I then moved up there, and I actually became the first person that had a salary to investigate near-death experiences. And that was an incredible six years for me, because I got to interview people just like me. And I learned so much more about accepting myself and realizing that a lot of us had been abused as kids and a lot of us that were having these experiences were suddenly like fish out of water or maybe we were the fish in the water for the first time. Sure. And, you know, then I met my now husband, Charlie Whitfield, and that was at the point in the six years where I was coming up with the um, child abuse fact, fact part and I wanted to investigate it more. And before I met with him, he had sent me a copy of his book, um, Healing the Child Within. So I started reading that book and realized that he had already discovered and written everything I wanted to investigate. Coincidence? <laughs> right. Yeah. So in the last 25 years that we've been together, between the two of us, we've written over 20 books. That's incredible. Because, Congratulations. Yeah, Thank you. His research and mine flow together. So when we write, I mean, we're just bouncing back and forth between my background in near-death experiences and his background in recovery. Hmm. Can I ask you, Barbara, I know myself, I've been here, and I know some of our listeners, too, either have just lost a loved one or afraid of dying, have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. I know there's Mm -hmm. people that are actually listening at the bedside to some of these interviews of someone who's very, very ill. Some hope that um, from your research and from your own Mm -hmm. experience will do some comfort as to like what, I know many near-death experiences are different, um, Mm -hmm. but what are maybe some commonalities and is there some reassurance that we're going to be hopefully met by one of our loved ones and, and that there is nothing to fear? Yeah, you know, I've sat with many, many people, too many to count now, as they've died. That's a good place to be if you're scared of it, because I I talk about entrainment, Mm -hmm. you know, where their vibration is, their spiritual vibration is becoming stronger as their physical vibration is weakening. Really? Yeah, so there's an entrainment, if you know what entrainment is. It's, It's like their vibration is stronger than ours and overpowers us so that we we move into where they're at. Interesting. And we have had group spiritual experiences as people are dying because the whole group that's around them, that loves them, we all move into that peace, at least the peace. And then sometimes people will talk about being able to see the tunnel and moving through to the point where they finally reach a barrier where they know they can't continue, they have to come back. And having been there so many times with so many people, I can tell you that they're fine when they die because they're waking up to a reality that's like, oh, yeah, I remember this. This was before, and this will be again. So they're kind of gliding into that peacefulness and that love that we don't understand when we've got a brain with a cortex. You know, we've got to think it over. But the energy, the spiritual energy that leaves the body is back again in that place with whatever you want to call God, and they're okay. 
the pain happens to those of us that are still here that have to let go of them. Oh, it's so and, tough. So And tough. I mean literally let go because I have seen people hang on and hang on and hang on because their relatives are saying, no, 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 don't go. Every single soul that's going to leave this reality needs permission from somebody else to go. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, somebody has to love them enough to say to them, it's okay, you go. And when they go, obviously the pain is left with us here. However, if if you've had this spiritual experience with them as they're leaving, my experience being with a lot of other families as they've let go is that that peace stays with them for quite a while. And even when the peace, you know, is finally over and they have to face their own grieving, they know their loved one is in a better place, and it's all about the selfishness of grieving, because grieving is a very selfish act. You know, we're moaning and groaning over how that person has left this huge void in their life. Yeah, it's hard. So it really hurts us, but they're okay. And as we process our grieving, now, if we don't use the word depressed and go on an antidepressant, I'm so against that. Mm -hmm. Depression is another way to say grieving, but it's frozen. Real grieving has movement. So over time, yes, I will always miss that person. Yes, I will always have pain in my heart because I love them. But I can get used to living again and allowing myself to feel the grieving when it happens. And it doesn't last long. If you time yourself, even hard crying can't last more than 10 or 20 minutes. And then it's like an ebb and a flow. Yes. But if, if we lock ourselves into the term depression, it never leaves. I really like how you said grieving has movement. Depression mm-hmm. is frozen. I've had people, uh, even just reading my book, I've got a big chapter on grief. And mm-hmm. and I talk about life after death and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, one gal gave it to her mom who didn't even want to read it. But she had locked herself in her house for six years after her husband died mm-hmm. and was just like, there was no reason to live. I mean, talk about mm-hmm. frozen, frozen even yeah. in the house. And yeah. thankfully, she was able to leave and live again. But uh, mm-hmm. it's easy to be locked into that. And I think by you sharing your story and so many others, um, it helps us believe and how it helps us have that movement through grief as opposed to being frozen and right. you know, die ourselves internally when we lose a loved one. Right, exactly. Part of us dies, yeah. but then there are always gifts. There are yes. always gifts that that person leaves for us. Just the understanding of it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. Mm-hmm. Just that understanding of how lucky we were to have been able to experience that love is, is number one lesson. Number two lesson is, I'm strong enough that I can get through this. Yes. And then there are many other lessons that come along until we realize that life is just one lesson after another. You know, nobody promised us it was going to be pain-free. Life <laughs> is about pain, too, but pain teaches. Right. Now, I have to just jump in sure. here and say that I do have one book that helps us to unhook from the drama. Not that we want to unhook from our loved one, but we want to unhook from the drama of it and just hang on with love. You know, will I still be connected to my loved one if I give up all the other regrets and just hang on with love? The name of this book, and it's a very short book, it's less than 100 pages, is called AFGES, A-F-G-E-S. And AFGES stands for Another Effing Growth Experience. Oh, that's great. Yeah, as soon as we can term it something that will, you know, be funny, it helps us to unhook from the drama. So it's not just about losing a loved one. It's about any drama in life that we get hooked into. Yeah, and just for our listener, on We Don't Die Radio dot com on Barbara Harris Whitfield's episode, you can see her beautiful face, and there's going to be links to her YouTube video and to the book she just mentioned and many other things that we are discussing. So that's a a resource for you as well. I do want to ask you about some of your books because um, I did some looking at, you got a lot of books, lady, but, but there was something that really called to me about the natural soul. Yeah. Um, And so I know that we all have, an ego or in my book I call it the voice which is like the negative voice inside of us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then I talk about the soul self and I think you're talking about the true self I think we're talking about the same thing but we are could you share a little bit about that 
Yeah. Um, the Natural Soul is really the, the um, part of a series. Okay. And the first one is um, Spiritual Awakenings, which is everything I learned in the research over the six years about After Effects. So I'm describing all the After Effects and Spiritual Awakenings. But fast forward 20 years, and Charlie and I are married, and I'm finally able to have a healthy enough relationship that I can take all of those After Effects and put them into everyday working gear. And the natural soul is really about what life looks like when we've healed enough to be our true self, soul, Charlie calls it the child within. What does life look like in a healthy relationship with myself, with others, and with God? So that book is more a description. It's more very, very personal. In fact, I had to check with Charlie on certain aspects of stories to make sure it was okay with him for me to tell it. But to me, that's the best way to explain what I'm trying to explain if I can tell stories about our life. So that is a book about the whole, oh gosh, the circle of life Mm -hmm. when we finally have gotten to a healthy point where we're not being ruled anymore by our wounds. I, I mean, I see the empowerment of that. I see really having that awakening as to who we are and all that negative stuff and the wounds really can be a gift to make us Mm -hmm. who we are. But then from that point to be into our like naked self and get to choose like what our Mm -hmm. passion is and who we really are. That's pretty powerful. It's powerful. It's incredible. And I think that's what the goal is. I think that's what my mission is. And it's not the big things. It's the little things, you know, it's the smiles that we get from a grandchild. I mean, you heard me raving about my relationship with my grandmother. Mm -hmm. I now have that relationship with some of my grandkids, only now I'm the grandmother. Very nice. Yeah, so it came back. It came back. And it's wonderful now to be able to have it, but it's little tiny things. I'm not talking about big things. I'm talking about, well, here's an example today. Mm -hmm. My granddaughter comes on Friday to us on the school bus. She's just turning seven. And last year, when she got off the school bus on Halloween, I was dressed in a wizard's costume with a high hat, you know, with Mm -hmm. lights blinking on the hat. And I had candy for all the kids getting off the bus. Well, she must have loved it so much that she called me Monday night and she she calls me mom. She says, Mom, would you please come in your costume Friday when I get off the bus and give all the kids the candy again? I mean, she remembered it a year later. Mm -hmm. So I am just, I can't wait till 3 o'clock in the afternoon when the school bus comes. Those are the important things. And it's just not our loved ones. It's perfect strangers, too. I really really love, um, Barbara, that you're talking about the little things because... There's a lot of people that think, you know, to do something big, like you have Mm -hmm. to write a book, you have to volunteer, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's such a relief because people have busy lives, but Mm -hmm. it's in the little things that make a difference. A smile or, you know, random act of kindness. Those are always fun. Or just listening to somebody who needs to be listened to or just holding a hand. Like that's that's where the the greatness is. You know, I can't heal politics. I can't heal what's going on in Europe or all over right, the world. Right. But what I can do is be part of the little things. And if enough of us are doing the little things, that adds up. And sooner or later, that's going to be big enough that it's going to counter the, the darkness in the world. I sure hope so. I really do. Yeah. Well, there we've is... got to believe so and we got to keep doing it. I mean, I'm even thinking about when I was at the supermarket yesterday buying fish And the guy at the fish counter, he didn't hand me the package of fish over the counter. Mm -hmm. He came around the counter, so he was close to me, and our eyes met. And his name on his badge was Mohammed. And I did not withdraw back because the name Mohammed kind of scares me a little bit with what's going on in the world. Right. But we shook hands, and we looked in each other's eyes, and we smiled. And he made me promise that I would come back and tell him how the fish was. And I'm going to go back there today and I'm going to tell Mohammed it was the fish. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking of a lot of the evil negative stuff that's going on in the world. When you say negative ego, I think unless we get a wake up call, we don't realize that that's our true, you know, that we have a true self. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people doing a lot of the painful things, 
um, are just working on this ego and not aware. And so I'm also a firm stand that things change and that people wake up and uh, it's a more loving planet. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I often think like, how can people operate like that? You know, how can people do negative things? And it's like, I don't think they know. And and you don't need to have a near-death experience to have the wake-up call, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I give, I think, 15 triggers in my books, but there are more than that now. I mean, childbirth. Um, Bill W., when he started AA, had a light experience and detox. Reading spiritual literature opens some people up. Uh, I said childbirth, what else? Even I'm hearing lately psychedelic experiences can wake people up. Or just being so grief-stricken by loss that it opens us up. Or, God forbid, being raped. Women who have been raped tell me the stories of being in the light. There are lots of different ways to wake up spiritually, and my favorite one is no dramatic experience. Just starting to be aware of the fact that we have all these coincidences going on. It's like God leaving its, its, his calling card. You know, here's a coincidence. It's so far beyond anything that should be happening, and it's happening to me. Where are these coincidences coming from? Well, then I start reading about synchronicities. And that's a very calm way to wake up spiritually. But the world is waking up, and and the evil people in the world, I see them as being asleep. They haven't awakened yet. Yeah, sure. And you know what? Not that I was evil, but I was asleep. I was... Yeah, skeptic. So None of this world was real. I, you know, I, I wasn't an atheist, but I don't know if I really believed. And mm-hmm. and it's just my nature of looking at what my passions are, what I was interested in. And suddenly, I've got this huge soul growth, and now I'm doing the unimaginable. I'm sharing about this stuff, which I never right. thought in a million years it would be me. Right. Yeah. right. But you, you know, when I write my books, I think about even if just one person mm-hmm. reads this and connects their heart to my heart. It's been worth all the work. Absolutely, it is. Barbara, can you talk a little bit about the term after effects? It's something I've just newly yeah. heard of, and I'm like, what? what is that? And how come I yeah. keep hearing that term? <laughs> and I've yeah. not you heard know, it I had the pleasure at the, the Fintorn conference of listening to Danny and Brinkley for two hours. Oh, he's he awesome. Is, he's been on the show. Yeah. He's been on? Yep. He's just a perfect example of the after effects. You know, here's a guy that really was a bad guy, yeah. you know. If you read his book, he calls himself an assassin yes. for the government. And before that, when he was a kid, he was a really angry kid that was beating everybody up. I mean, here's a guy that, well, my dad would have called him a no-goodnik. <laughs> okay, so here's a no-goodnik that gets electrocuted twice right. on the telephone. And, you know, he calls it a, he answered the call from God. And now look what he's doing. He's sat with over 3,000 vets as they die. Right. He's organized. I mean, he's... He's the most beautiful soul. My husband and I just had to call him and get in touch with him. After we, we he was on um, Skype. He wasn't there in person. So as soon as we got back to the states, we got a hold of him and his wife, and we're going to meet with them in February. I just want to be with this man. Sure. He is just such a perfect example of going from being a no goodness to being the natural soul. And for me personally. I am a totally different person than I was before my experience. Mm-hmm. I was bitter. I was, um, I, I just keep thinking of shrinking down to half of, of the size that I am now. Um, we're, it, Bruce Grayson used to say that we were on a mission from God, and that's just what it feels like. It feels like to me that what we learn as we process our experience is that God can work through us when we become clear. And becoming clear means taking care of what we need to do to heal our wounds. And once we've healed our wounds, which some people call the shadow, I call it baggage, mm-hmm. once we heal that enough, once we're clear, God's coming through us. In fact, we have a book on this that Charlie and I wrote together. It took us five years, a lot longer than our other books, called The Power of Humility. And we have four levels in The Power of Humility. Most of humanity is wandering around asleep in that first level, which is conflict. You know, it's me against you. Right. When we have humility and we can move up to the next level, which is co-commitment, then we've made a deal, you and me, that we're committed to work these things through peacefully. And how are we going to do that? By being humble. And I don't mean being a doormat. I mean being open and willing 
to learn more about myself, more about you, and more about God. The third level is when we decide to invite God in with us so that there's a co-creation there. And then the fourth level is unity. Fourth level is we don't have to invite God in anymore. God's there. God's present in our life all the time. God's present in our hearts. And we're functioning as a, a conduit for God. I'm quiet just because you kind of just hit me personally. I've got a conflict uh-huh. in my life, and you just went through yeah. those steps. I'm like, I'm going to get that book. Con- well, conflict is an opportunity to transcend it, to go up to the next level. And then the other couple who wrote it with us, who have a spiritual community in California, mm-hmm. they challenged us. We called them all excited when we finally figured out and our own relationship, how to get to the second level. We called them all excited to tell them the story, you know, and then we put the story in the book. And they challenged us to make it up to the third level because we're going to have more and more conflicts in life. So when the conflict hits me, instead of falling down to the first level where the conflict is, if if I'm living my life from the third level, then at least I just fall down to two. I fall down to co commitment. Right. You know, so this is an incredible book, and they used it to do a two-year uh, teaching course that they have on becoming a minister of prayer. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and the, and the whole thing is based on that book. And incidentally, The Natural Soul, which I was talking about before, yep. sprang out of the power of humility. Because once I realized, hey, we're doing it, um, I wanted to write about it, a, a personal book about what happens when you use the power of humility in your life? Then you become your natural soul. Hmm, that's beautiful. I, I don't know if I can summon to words what I'm feeling, but like right now I've got to clean my bedroom, right? It seems like a little <laughs> thing. But I have been chipping away at different things uh, that are kind of out of integrity for me, getting my finances sorted out and whatever. And I'm at the point where even though there's lots I have to do, you know, clean my room and there'll be some more freedom there. When there's not a lot of baggage, when there's not a lot of, and I'm using my messy bedroom as kind of a metaphor for like mm-hmm. things in my mind, but when there's yeah. not a lot of clutter, there is this possibility of whether you say connection with God or mm-hmm. or our true self or whatever that you can really tap into like who are you and what is your life for mm-hmm. you know and, and, and it often opens up I've found that it's like you want to make a difference with someone else is that one of the after effects too of people that have had NDEs is that uh, not only is there you know a, less of a fear of dying or no fear of dying but um, and you can heal some of your own wounds but that you want to make a difference with other people I think that if you have humility, yes, but also that some people do the the turn of, um, oh, what am I thinking of, Um, where they're quoting the Bible all the time, they go the opposite way. They're going to jump in and and just take in self-righteousness. Self-righteousness to me is the opposite of humility. Okay. You know, humility is being open to learning more. Self-righteousness is, I already know everything, and I'm going to teach you. Yeah. And there's a big difference there. And the other, the other after effect that I'll talk about now is that a lot of people, including me, become more psychic. And for some people that don't understand, psychic becomes the goal, becoming more and more and more psychic. When psychic is a distraction, and I mean, the Eastern religions know this, Psychic is a place to get caught up. Yes, we're psychic, and yes, we're going to help other people, and yes, we're going to help ourselves, but there's something else called healing ourselves and being spiritual. And the way I sum that up in most of my talks is I sum up the um, after effects as three categories, self-growth, personal growth, altruism, and spirituality. That's where, if we're really open to what happened and we want to learn more, we become, we want to heal ourselves, personal growth, we want to help others, altruism, Mm -hmm. and we're not afraid to die and we want to help others, spirituality. Wow, really great. I'm I'm taking crazy notes here. My pen just keeps moving, moving. Not that I don't have a recording of all this, because yeah. that's what we're doing. But you know, um, David Sunfellow from New Heaven, New Earth is going to be putting up my workshop at, at Finthorn, and this is all in the workshop with slides. So you'll, it, once that's up, you will actually get 
slides with what I'm telling you, so you don't have to write it down. Wow. Is that in that YouTube video, or is that something else? The YouTube video that he just put up, that's from David, um, is my talk during the regular conference. Okay. Then we had three days of workshops that were a half a day each from any of the speakers that wanted to give a workshop. Okay. So my workshop was on the power of humility. So you can get all that now. I gave you an address, NDE yep. Stories. Yes, we haven't shared that yet with what okay, that is. Okay, when NDE you share that, it, it does, if the listener goes to that website and types in Barbara Harris Whitfield, then all of these videos will come up. And if it's not up yet, within a couple of days, the workshop, The Power of Humility, will be up. Okay, and that website is ndestories.org, and also yes. on We Don't Die Radio on Barbara Harris Whitfield's episode. Just scroll down beneath her face, and there will be links to all this stuff. So it's one-stop shopping. So Great. just looking at time, we're, you know, we've got about 10 minutes left or so. But what's what are you passionate about now? What's on the horizon? What <laughs> what, what do you want to share? I mean, it's like, what, what haven't talking, we covered? What do we need to do? Your is whole this life personal or is this planetary? Oh, I don't know. You because personally, I have to tell you, you talk about the little things. Yeah. My husband and I are doing concrete art yep. on our patio. We're right in the middle of, of uh, creating a labyrinth. Oh, that's awesome. It is awesome. And we're doing it with little tiny tiles and concrete and, and paint Anyway, and what we're doing is we're creating something that we can walk with our patients because so many of our patients say that they can't meditate. So with this, we have a new tool to help them to walk, a walking meditation or a walking prayer to clear the mind. Because we were just in Europe after we were in Scotland, and they have uh, labyrinths all over the place at the cathedrals. And when, when you walk them, your mind settles down. The chatter calms down. So anyway, we're building one right now for ourselves and for our patients. So that's my local passion. Mm-hmm. My earthly passion is to keep going for as long as I have breath, is to keep telling people the message that we do not die, that dying is safe, that we're going to wake up somewhere else and it's going to feel so good because if we were in pain, the pain will be gone because we won't have a body anymore. And then, you know, I want to come back. I want to come back again and again because this is where the action is. This is where the fun is. This is where you can, you can cuddle with another person. You can't cuddle on the other side. I mean, yeah, God's going to hold you. But I'm talking about life itself is a joy and it's a horrible pain. Right. That's what life is. But this is where the action is. I love that. How about um, any closing words or if you wanted to give one tool, something that we could keep on our mind today as we're going through our day? Um, I don't know. Anything come to mind? Well, on a practical level, Mm -hmm. what I have learned about all my relationships is when I jump in, especially like if my kids are having problems. My kids are in their 50s now, but my kids still have the same, the word I can think of here is shtick, between each other, you know, kind of their own baggage. If I jump in and try to help, my energy is just adding to what's going on and confusing the whole thing. If I just stand back and give them unconditional love wherever they're at, I'm not adding to the problem. I'm not hooking into the drama. And that's, okay, that's with my kids. And with the rest of the world, too. If I hook in, all I'm doing is adding more confusion and more static energy. So it's better to just witness and not judge. Becoming the witness in our life is so much easier than jumping in all the time. So for all listeners, before you jump in, think about it. Think about how much better it would be for everybody else and certainly for yourself to just witness what's going on. But don't have an opinion because it's our personal opinion that's just going to confuse everything else. And then on a global level, I would say that prayer is so important. God wants to hear from us. Hmm. Wow. And also, one more thing. Sure. If Charlie was in the room, he'd say, the best prayer in the world is one word, help. Just ask for help, 
and watch things change. Every time I ask for help, which is really the third or the fourth level that I was talking about from the power of humility, every time I ask for help in any situation, help comes almost immediately in a totally different way than I would have projected or expected. And that help is kind and soft, and I may learn a few things about myself that I might not necessarily have liked, but I've learned about more about myself, more about others, and more about the way God works. This is great. It's like you created this just for me. And <laughs> I'm human. I know I'm not alone. So you who's listening right. to this right now, yeah. <laughs> take it yeah. in personally because it's, yeah. it's yeah. super. Barbara, thank and, you. And what that adds to is please accept the fact that we're all humans and humans aren't perfect. We all have flaws. You know, that's what makes us human. And just love ourselves the way we are. Yes. Wow. Barbara Harris Whitfield, thank you for being our guest today. My pleasure. Please really. let me know when this is up. Awesome. I sure will. Um, and for listeners, again, go to wedontdieradio.com and you can see everything about Barbara that we've talked about and more. And if you want to just go to her website, it's www.barbara dash whitfield.com and in closing um i just a major mega 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 thank you to our our guest today it's just really awesome uh interview and for our guest if i do have a favor to ask i'm sure. I, i'm it's for everybody listening um if these episodes have made a difference for you could you send me a note uh sandra at sandra com will work or if you're listening on itunes there's a place where you can actually go to we don't die that's the name of the podcast and leave a review it's nice because i know there's listeners i know the, the listener base grows daily every interview there's more and more and more listeners i don't know who you are and that's okay to rename anonymous but if it does make mm-hmm. a difference for you uh just let me know because that mm-hmm. kind of empowers me to share more and share on facebook or wherever you share so in closing my name is sandra champlain i've been your host on we don't die radio i do believe with all my heart that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important and I love what Barbara said, life is where the action is. And um, also, ask for help and watch things change. I mean, that's really what I'm, what I'm left with. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.